Hello, my name is Haley Dahl, and welcome to another episode of Green Exploration Rockford. Today, I'm speaking with Robert Wilhelmy, the Brownfields Redevelopment Specialist, and Kyle Saunders, the Director of Public Works, both working for the City of Rockford, Illinois. We will continue discussing Rockford's environmental issues and how the city has been working towards a more sustainable future during part two of this episode. your next question about kind of where we're shifting our focus in the future in terms of kind of some of our kind of more strategic views around sustainability and, and certainly environmentalism. Um, so we, uh, in, in each of our groups, um, I think we're doing a really good job looking forward So our street water and, and engineering group. Um, in our engineering group, we're certainly looking and we passed a complete streets um, ordinance uh, several years ago. So obviously we're looking at our design standards, not just from a vehicular transportation standpoint, we're certainly looking at all modes of transportation. Um, and, you know, we're, we're kind of embracing that new urbanism feel, uh, you know, as it relates to, you know, the wider the road doesn't mean the better the road, right? Trying to kind of limit some of those pavement sections, which certainly is more sustainable from an initial cost perspective, from a life cycle cost perspective, as well as traffic calming, speed management, and a level of comfort for your pedestrian and, and bicyclists that are that are also using that road. So we're certainly looking at kind of that, that we're embracing that new urbanism design standard. Um, also looking at a lot of our mixed designs and, and looking at how we can best utilize reclaimed materials, because um, that's something that obviously is really important. Um, helps kind of recycle some of those, you know, other you know, otherwise just uh, disposed of materials in a landfill um, and obviously bring some of those those unit prices down. So we're we're certainly um, excited to see that kind of come into the fold in engineering. Um, and then the last big thing in engineering is is, is being prepared for electric vehicles. Um, we just mm -hmm. as a region um, participated in an EV readiness study. So looking at obviously both the policy and the infrastructure side to see how we can best position ourselves to, to handle that, um, you know, that, that 2035, 2040, if not sooner, uh, move towards exclusive electric vehicles. So, um, you know, we're certainly looking at it from a city standpoint in terms of how we can kind of lower those barriers to entry um, in, in terms of the electric vehicle market for our residents, uh, but also looking at the infrastructure side. We just um, conducted a five-year parking fund capital plan that certainly contemplated where the best spots for EV charging stations would be. Um, so we're certainly as a, as a community wanting to make sure that, that we're playing a role in seeing that thing move forward. Um, on the water side, really excited about kind of how we're, we're dipping into renewable energy. Um, we do have a solar panel array on one of our large 5 million gallon concrete reservoirs that certainly helps kind of defray some of those electrical um, costs and, and electrical consumption. Uh, we do participate in um, a uh, energy curtailment program uh, through ComEd. Um, so obviously trying to shed some of our, um, our electrical demand on the grid uh, whenever we can to kind of help them obviously balance the needs throughout their, their system. Um, and then we're really looking at possibly 
um, the addition of hydroelectric generators on some of our larger reservoirs. So again, trying to look at different um, ways that we can um, decrease our energy consumption and certainly our energy costs. So, um, you know, after uh, salary and benefits, electricity is our biggest operating expense in our water group. So anything that we can do to kind of pick away at that is certainly going to help us in the long run. Um, and then lastly, in our street group, um, I talked a little bit about forestry, but you know, the street, uh, street division has a lot of different sections operating under it. Uh, our property group is actually looking at, they're the ones that maintain all of our city owned properties. They've actually been participating in ComEd, NICOR, all the different um, energy efficiency programs. So making sure that you know, we've got the most efficient fixtures, mechanicals, um, and just systems within our buildings to make sure that you know, we're doing our part and, and certainly decreasing that, um, that carbon footprint. And then really excited, we're actually right now in the final stages of securing um, some pretty significant grant funding to replace, or I'm sorry, upgrade all of our non-LED streetlights throughout the city. So all of our high pressure sodium, metal halide, all the city owned fixtures throughout that have not been upgraded to, to LED. And we're thinking that that's gonna save us uh, roughly $105,000 a year in energy costs. So again, looking at it from a you know operational efficiency standpoint, but also Kind of reducing that carbon footprint we're, we're really excited with what our group's looking for uh, towards the future sorry i have to get off at nine but anything that you want me to expound on or anything yeah well you've already kind of touched on what they wanted to do in regards to the green infrastructure and implementing that but what are your thoughts on rockford taking action towards implementing solutions to these environmental challenges and more specifically in bipoc neighborhoods has the implementation been inclusive yeah, so when you look at infrastructure renewal, you know, we, I think you talked about urban sprawl and certainly urban decay, right? I mean, those are, those are pretty standard um, planning and, and environmental thoughts that have gone into how, how cities and, and communities have developed. Um, we we kind of have a unique overlap where a lot of our um, a lot of our older infrastructure is where we're focusing our investments, right? Um, so, you know, when I talk about lead service line replacement, um, that's a huge... Um, initiative for us that certainly is implementing BIPOC uh, populations. Um, I, I think the Metropolitan Planning Council did some, some work that showed that um, uh, people of color are impacted most uh, in communities that have lead service lines, uh, just because of obviously kind of the, 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 um, the location of the lead service lines relative to larger BIPOC populations. So, you know, our lead service line replacement program is focused on um, improving those areas. I mean, our, our highest risk lead service lines are the ones, again, that are either disturbed through maintenance activities or capital um, replacement efforts. And to be honest, the large majority of our high risk water main replacement is focused in areas of, of higher BIPOC populations. So inherently we're replacing lead service lines there. Um, you know, an, another big project that I think of is our 9th Street two-way conversion, uh, the Whitman Interchange. And when I talk about those sustainable design principles, um, that's an area that right now that infrastructure is creating a barrier between the east and the west sides of Rockford. Um, so as we're looking at modernizing that, that interchange and reducing the pavement footprint, um, obviously there's sustainable considerations, the complete street side, but creating that social accessibility of, of west side connection to the downtown hospital at Swedish American, um, creating that social um, accessibility from the west side to you know, the east side and some of those downtown destinations, that's certainly something that with our infrastructure investment, we're addressing some of those 
those social, those equity, those environmental concerns with a lot of the way that we're planning our projects. So um, I know those are just two examples, but again, you know, you can look at our sidewalk gap program that's looking to address some of the, um, the disconnection between kind of our, our active transportation attractors, i.e. our neighborhoods and those destinations, whether it be schools, whether it be shopping, whether it be, you know, healthcare, right? We're trying to kind of, we're trying to lower that barrier for our, um, our BIPOC population to be able to get to where they need to get. Um, I, I look at that from our active transportation improvements. Um, you know, the last, uh, last year when we really evaluated our, um, the level of funding that, that we spend on active transportation, uh, we historically spent at a, a level of $50,000 per year. Uh, we increased that to $300,000 a year because we understood that communities our size were investing at one to $2 per capita. So really what we're looking to do with, with you know, improving that, that multi-use path, that on-street, that off-street, that sidewalk connection um, throughout our city is making sure that we're connecting people to their destination. So we're really excited to see um, how all of this, this infrastructure investment is really making um, the life of our residents significantly better, so. That's good to hear. Accessibility is definitely a big thing in regards to getting infrastructure to be inclusive because you know you see it a lot even in Chicago where like you know the more affluent whiter neighborhoods up on the north side and due to the city's history of segregating residents through redlining and housing discrimination they get all the overhauls in regards to public transit and things of that sort and then the southwest side communities end up you know, not receiving the same type of investment, so. Well, and, and that's, Haley, that's such a good point. I'm gonna stay on for a minute so I can bring up that point. So, you know, that's one thing that we identified in our 10-year bikeway implementation study. Um, there are a large number of people that use our active transportation networks, um, i.e. sidewalks, again, off-street and on-street facilities for recreational purposes, right? There are a lot of people that do that. Um, but there are a larger number of people that use that network out of necessity, right? I think a lot of people forget that pe some people don't have parks. Some people don't have, you know, access to public transportation. So they need those networks to make sure that they have, they have the means to get to where they need to go. So that was a huge focus for us. The other thing is our recent efforts on trying to close the digital divide, that uh, accessibility to high-speed internet, that, that accessibility to uh, fiber optic networks. One thing that we're really, really proud of at the city of Rockford is, um, and I can't remember the exact month, but I, I think it was March of 2021, we actually entered into a, uh, a master agreement with uh, Sci-Fi Networks to, um, they're looking to install a citywide fiber optic network. So they're literally going to install fiber in front of every single house and every single business throughout the entire city of Rockford. So what that's going to allow is large scale connectivity to high speed internet throughout. Um, and, and the scale of this project provides for lower, lower price points for that service. So, um, and, and you know, looking at, you know, obviously the, the possibility of those different internet service providers, looking at how we can uh, incentivize and provide uh, that connectivity to, you know, our low income residents. Um, because we understand that closing that digital divide is, is huge in ensuring that, you know, the, the uh, socioeconomic conditions improve, uh, the connection and accessibility to everything throughout our city just really moves forward. So that's another huge thing that, again, we probably could talk for the next 25 to 30 minutes on. But 
again, just another example of how Rockford's pushing forward. And, and if all things go well, I, I think our plan is by 2024, um, we would have that, that citywide fiber optic network lit and, and providing service to our residents. So we're really excited to see how that kind of pushes, pushes us forward as a community as well. We also got the trajectory energy site under construction too, Kyle. Yeah. Which is Brownfield's redevelopment project. It was an old, basically city operated landfill and quarry and sat vacant since the seventies. And um, I don't know the exact totals on how much is invested in that, but a company came in and they're doing a solar farm there. And it's basically um, opening up the credits for low income individuals in the area. I think Rockford Housing Authority is going to be buying 10% of the energy off of that as well. So. Well, Kyle, I'm assuming you have to hop off. Yes, I do. Thank you so much for the opportunity to meet with you. And it was really, really fun just kind of walking through and we, uh, there's a lot going on. So it was great that you yeah. had some time to highlight it. So thank you so much for, you know, sharing your insight and knowledge. I really, really appreciate it. And Absolutely. Thanks for, uh, Thanks for thinking about, about me, Rob. Thanks, Kyle. Bye-bye. Bye. All righty. So I guess, you know, backtracking a little bit, let's talk about the brownfields in regards to about green infrastructure and how these improvements could, you know, benefit the brownfield situation in Rockford. You know, obviously, you look at what we know about brownfields, and they are a huge, if not one of the major contributors to environmental justice. And you look at these environmental justice areas affected by brownfields, and you know they are. They're these areas, they're large companies pulled up, left ship, left these sites, uh, led to urban decay, surrounding neighborhoods affected negatively, property values go down, and Who's, who's going to be buying those houses and living there? They're going to be, they're going to be bought. They're going to be turned into rentals. Uh, obviously with rentals, you have a high minority population. And, and not only that, is that those neighborhoods being affected by, you know, the blight, the economic challenges, lack of jobs, environmental health issues. Um, so that's why we, we, you know, you look at our Brownfields investments and our major investments are back into these um sites surrounding these types of neighborhoods. And I look at Southwest Rockford, you know, I keep bringing that up as an example. It's, it's a good time to talk about that because we, so last year we uh, were awarded a technical, assist, a technical assistance grant from US EPA where they came in and we, basically the city was allowed to choose one neighborhood and they were gonna produce a revitalization strategy for that neighborhood. Um, so we looked at, you know, the positive impacts that South Main has had, the, you know, reconstruction of South Main Street and Embassy Suites and some of the positives there. And, and, you know, we have this neighborhood, Southwest Rockford neighborhood that still is kind of lagged behind because there's been all this investment in the last 10 years in South Main and basically the commercial um, sites surrounding it, but nobody's really looked into these neighborhoods. So, we, you know, we did this revitalization strategy to try to say, okay, how can we, how can we, continue redevelopment efforts on South Main Street and allow it to benefit these neighborhoods and what it needs. And it was actually a very, very, very interesting study. Um, it reiterated a lot of things that, you know, we kind of had figured, but it just kind of 
you know, put an explanation point on is, yeah, I, one of the biggest things was for that neighborhood was there's no sense of community. Nobody in that community that we interviewed, as far as the stakeholder interviews, you know, we asked them, what would you say is, is, you know, the center point of your neighborhood? And we got some scattered answers and no one really could identify a certain key place or location that gives this neighborhood its identity, you know, kind of like a, a venue, like a city market or something along those lines. Um, so, you know, it, it basically it just pointed to everything back to that Barbara Coleman site saying that this, this needs to be redeveloped. This is redevelopment Barbara Coleman is what's going to make that neighborhood pop again. It's going to give it a sense of um, identity again. It's going to, you know, we, very diverse um, neighborhood, not only racially, but age-wise. And it, it's something that could, you know, bring that neighborhood together. So, you know, it's kind of Southwest Rockford, I know is kind of a poster child right now for a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. So then would you say that Rockford has been pretty good about um, inclusively tackling these environmental challenges, especially in respect to Brownfield? Yes, in the past 20 years, yes. Yeah, that's good. that's good. Prior to that, you know, you look at all the focus was the Greenfield redevelopment and yeah. it was the sprawl. And it wasn't until the early 2000s when your administration started recognizing that we need to start reinvesting back in our urban core or you know, we're going to have a major issue here. Mm -hmm. So when you redevelop these brownfield sites, are there issues with gentrification? I'm assuming when you redevelop these sites, it raises the property value of the properties around it. Is that correct? Correct. So does that end up displacing residents of the community or has there been measures to adjusting to that? With Brownfield's redevelopment, it, it's such a slow process that it does allow the neighborhood to transition um, with it. I mean, realistically, like I said, I look at most of our cleanup projects and you know, very seldom do we have something that's done in a year. Uh, most of our cleanup projects are long-term type sites that have been, you know, Barbara Coleman, we started cleaning that site up in 2001. Um, so ultimately when it gets redeveloped, you know, obviously there's going to be a transition period there, but um, you know, one of the things that we plan on seeing is you, you bring back Brownfield, you redevelop Brownfields and you're going to be creating better jobs in that area. You're going to be creating better services in that area, which, you know, with that increase in income, you're going to have people reinvesting in their properties. Mm -hmm. You know, we really try to push for these owner occupied um, uses. Um, you know, one of the worst things that's happened to Rockford was the housing crash, um, you know, 2008, 2009. And what it did is you look at these neighborhoods these established legacy neighborhoods in Rockford and all these homes went into foreclosure and what happened to them? They got sold off or auctioned off to out of town landlords who flipped them into rentals. And, you know, we, we've seen the studies, we know what rental properties do to these legacy neighborhoods. It takes one or two bad apples and it can really poison a neighborhood. 
Mm -hmm. So moving forward with these improvements that Rockford has been pushing to implement, where are there areas for improvement? I think there's always areas for improvement. Um, I think the biggest thing that we need to keep working towards, and it's something we have been doing, but there needs to be more of, is there needs to be more public-private investment into some of these sites. You know, the embassy suites was a, was a perfect example of how public and private side can work together to achieve a common goal. There was some pretty significant incentives that we offered to getting that site redeveloped, but, you know, you look at the long-term effects that the embassy suites is going to have, not only with, you know, it's going to take a, a property with basically no property tax on it, and it's going to get it back on the tax rolls. It's created jobs for that neighborhood, that area, well-paying jobs brings a sense of pride to that area as well. Look, look what they built down here. You know, it's drawing people to it. So um, I think the continued push for that private-public partnership in some of these sites is, is what's going to be key. And how can Rockford implement more inclusive solutions? Would you say it's pretty much like the same thing, more public and private investment? Yeah. yeah. Alrighty. Well, that being said, is there anything else you would like to tell me about your work in Rockford as it relates to, you know, these environmental solutions in the area? Um, one of the, one other interesting thing that we have going now is, so back in December, we passed a, what we call a nuisance solid waste ordinance. And what it basically is, is, is it's our brownfields ordinance. And it gives us the ability now to, you know, for, for a site like Barbara Coleman or, you know, these old, old industrial sites that these, you know, Fortune 500 companies um, left 30, 40, 50 years ago, pulled up ship, left town, and left an environmental mess. It actually gives us the ability to go back on them now and either force them to clean up the site or face, um, you know, compounding fines as we move forward. Um, you know, with Barbara Coleman, we are confident we have a responsible party that probably doesn't even realize that they bought a company that bought a company that bought Barbara Coleman back in 1987. But from a environmental standpoint, they still have skin in the game in that, that legacy site. They're still considered a responsible party. So trying to pull back those companies that have left town so many years ago is going to be challenged, but we've seen it accomplished in other communities and it's something we're working for doing and obviously it'll help offset the amount of investment that we're making into cleaning up these sites. I want to ask one more question in regards to what we were talking about earlier with the brownfield redevelopment. So you were saying that that process is pretty slow and it allows time for the community to adjust. So I was just curious as to how does the community adjust to those changes? Most of the money that we use for these assessments and cleanups are, they're grant funded. So mm -hmm. a huge portion of those grants is public outreach. Um, mm -hmm. Not only in the process of applying for them, um, you know, we have to have public meetings, we have to, you know, seek out public input just in the application process, but we also have to continue that after we're awarded these grants. And mm -hmm. I can't even tell you very frequently are you a member of the city of Rockford government Facebook page by chance? 
Uh, I'm not really on Facebook, in all honesty, okay. but is that a page you would suggest? Yeah. Okay. So w- one of the things, you know, I, I used to do a lot of neighborhood meetings, um, you know, promote our brownfields projects, let inform residents know of cleanups that were going on in their neighborhood, um, you know, just part of that public outreach. And with COVID, unfortunately, we, um, you know, a lot of those neighborhood meetings went away. Had a few mm-hmm. virtual ones here and there. So one of the things we've really switched to in promoting what we're doing on the Brownfield side of things is social media. And about every two weeks we're putting out, um, you know, a little blast highlighting different projects that, you know, different activities, you know, even, even as something as little as removing an underground storage tank from a blighted property, mm-hmm. just to inform residents what we're doing to clean up that area, what we're doing to address issues, you know, whether it be blight removal, environmental uh, cleanup, whatever, anything we can do that's shown that we're reinvesting into these, um, you know, former eyesores to turn them into assets. And mm-hmm. it's, been, it's been taken very well. I'm, I'm very surprised. So that's one means that we're doing to it. Like I said, as far as the adjustment goes, um, I think most people just generally accept that, that, you know, as they make improvements, um, you know, not only to the neighborhood, but around the neighborhood, these property values are going to go up. Um, and like I said, with, with brownfields, it's usually a slow process. Um, you know, they have time to adjust to it. They, but, um, you know, unfortunately, like it does put some economic strain maybe on some challenge residences. There are programs out there um, that can assist with that. What, what programs does the city have to help with that? That's a, that's a human services question there. Human uh, services? Okay. Yeah, I'm not, I, I know that they've got, whether it be help with like utilities, um, you know, rental assistance, things like that. There are programs out there that are human services. So it sounds like Rockford's pretty good at, you know, touching base with their communities and seeing what people actually want and need. Yeah. I I definitely try to do as much promotion as we can. We got a website just for our Brownfields projects and and what's going on. And I keep that updated and maintained and try to try to be creative and do as much as we can. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So, well, is there anything else you'd like to touch on or? I think we covered everything for the most part. I think we covered quite a bit. Um, like I said, I also managed all the city's sanitation contracts. So, you know, we, we do our best to promote recycling. That's one of the challenges now is, is more so education on educating people what can and can't be recycled because we've got a huge issue with, um, it's unfortunately right now, recycling isn't very efficient. And what yeah. I mean by that is, you know, we've got commingled recycling in the city. You got the blue bins, everything goes in there. That gets put in a truck. Um, it gets hauled into a material recovery facility in Homewood, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that anything that is not recyclable ends up back in a truck and ends up back at our landfill, which mm-hmm. right now we're approximating about 30, 35% of everything that goes in is coming back. So you think of do the carbon footprint math on that. When you're talking trucking that to and from Homewood, it just, it's something that really needs to be cleaned up. So last, last year we 
put a pretty big effort on more so educating people what can and can't be recycled and um, trying to increase those numbers as well. What have they been doing to try to increase the education in regards Just to that? Community outreach. So our social media blasts okay. are one of the big things. We've been working through um, local organizations like Keep Northern Illinois Beautiful. I actually um, volunteered with them before. Did you? Okay. Yep. So we, we work with them a lot to help promote stuff. Um, you know, we've got a very active uh, solid waste website that um, pretty much will tell you anything you want to get rid of in the city of Rockford will tell you how to do it. Um, we keep that updated pretty well. And, and like I said, a lot of neighborhood meetings are starting to come back in. So we do a lot of promotion with neighborhood meetings, virtual meetings, whatever we can do to kind of to, to, to clean that stream up. Do you think your public outreach efforts reach a majority of the community or do you think there is ways that that could be improved? There's always ways to improve them. Um, you know, right now, I think the biggest challenge is, and like I said, I'm going to bring up Southwest Rockford again, because, you know, the, the health, uh, recently had a health impact study done too, to go with the Brownfields revitalization study. And, you know, that study found that, you know, an upwards of 50% of Southwest Rockford is primarily Spanish speaking. Um, so trying to, you know, our, like I said, our website is, is available in multiple languages. The social media posts obviously um, are converted to multiple languages and that helps a ton, but um, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes just uh, getting that language barrier and trying to find the best way to, to promote that because so a lot of the older populations, they don't have social media. Yeah. So how do you do that? Um, you know, we'll put press releases out. Occasionally we'll do, um, you know, news, news interviews, things like that, because with our older populations, we found that what do they still do? They still watch the news every day. Yeah. Or read the newspaper. Or read the newspaper and what's left of it. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I've learned through all this is that sustainability is a very multifaceted, complex topic and you have to touch yep. all the bases you know even just down to things like that like what does the older generation use to get their information like you have and to think of everything it's all webbed yeah. together too somehow yes exactly make sure that everybody gets gets the benefits so yeah. that's the important thing to take care of our neighbors even if we don't see them all the time yeah so. <laughs> Well, that being said, I feel like, you know, we pretty much touched on everything that I wanted to talk about. I think we covered about everything I wanted to hit. And actually, do you know anything in regards to the Keith Creek? That's a project that I've been interested in. Is that by the Brownfield at all? So I've been brought in. I mean, there's some property acquisitions that we would like to make, um, you know, obviously strategic ones to help, you know, um, expand that bottleneck that's causing the flooding. Um, I don't really know the status of it, of it right now, but... Um, I think R1 planning kind of took it over. They did, along with our stormwater team. Alrighty, well, I should probably hop off because I actually should probably get to work. But thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you sharing your insight and participating in my little podcast it means nope. a lot. Anything you guys need from us, just let me know. Nice to see 
someone from Rockford out there doing doing some good. Nice talking with you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much, Robert, and have a wonderful day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. I think now would be a good time to wrap up part two of this episode. As always, I would love to thank Robert Wilhelmy and Kyle Saunders for sharing their valuable insight during part two of this discussion. I would also like to thank anyone listening in on this podcast, as I always appreciate your support of Green Exploration Rockford. I would just like to remind you to take whatever you learn from this series and consider how you, as an individual, can be a contributor to a sustainable future in your day-to-day life. And don't forget to not only show Mother Earth some love, but your fellow humans as well, each and every one of them, because all humans deserve to live in a quality environment. My name is Haley Dahl, and I am signing off. Stay green and stay exploring, Rockford.